following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Mark chapter 14, that's page number 851. If you're using one of the Bibles there in the seat in front of you, and if you don't have your Bible with you, please do grab one of those, because I will not have any slides tonight. While you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and ask the men who are serving communion, Ed and Caleb and... Jordan and uh, Isaac, if you guys would come on up and have your seat now. We'll be gathering around the Lord's table in just a few moments. Hope you recognize that by going to Mark 14 tonight, we're cheating, right? We're looking ahead in Mark a little ways. Uh, I apologize now because when we come back to this and I don't know what, three years, however long it's going to take us to get to Mark from uh, where we're at right now, I probably will say a number of the same things that I'm saying tonight, but... Um, I looked at Matthew's passage that covers the same thing and Luke's, and I really thought about using one of those, but to be honest with you, I didn't like either of them as well as I like Mark's passage. I feel like he does the, the, the best job of what we're trying to look at this morning, and so we're coming to him instead of one of those other two. But we're going to be reading verses 32 to 42 here. Uh, this is the story of Jesus in the garden, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. So if you will, please look at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Will you pray? bow your heads with me? Jesus, we have gathered tonight, um, not by your command, not even really by any precedent we see in the Scripture, just simply as a way of reminding ourselves of what you endured on the cross to purchase our salvation. That's what this day is supposed to, re to remind us of. And so this little time we have here together is just our feeble attempt at doing that as a church family. And I pray, Father, that as we do this, you will open our eyes to really understand the depth of what it cost you and what it cost your son in order to make us your own, to adopt us as your sons and daughters, it, it, it cost more than any of us even possibly understand. And so help us tonight to see that at least a little. Convict us with our small thoughts of you. And may our time together be a reminder of how thankful we should be for what Jesus has done for us, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Over the um, last few months here, I've been reading J.I. Packer's uh, classic book, Knowing God. How many of you have read that book before? 
Okay. Okay, for everyone who doesn't have your hand up, you should read it. Uh, I had never read it before. I, in fact, I think we should give it away on the resource table, Jordan. We can make a note of that for the future. But it, it, is, it is really that good. And to not in any way overstate the case, it has, in many respects, rocked my world in terms of my understanding of God. And I could probably point to dozens of small examples, maybe some large ones as well, along the way of how that's true, how it has really op- just just open my eyes anew and afresh to certain things about God, but there are two particular uh, uh, examples or instances above all the others that, that have really been challenging me, and it's been such a blessing. And so I decided to use those two thoughts as the basis of our time together, both tonight and again on Sunday morning. And they really were quite perfect. I didn't originally plan or intend that this is how it would work out, but when I stopped and considered the two things, I'm like, man, this... This challenges our view of God perfectly on either side of the cross. So on one side of the cross, how we view him as one particular thing. On the other side of the cross, how we view him as another thing. Tonight's not really a sermon, and actually I'll give you guys a hint because you're here. I won't say it again Sunday morning, but Sunday morning's not really a sermon either. Both of these times are more meditations. It's just some reflections from my own heart and from the scriptures and from some of the things that Packers challenged me with that I would just want to pass on to you to be challenged with as well, and I hope they'll be a blessing. But tonight, tonight I'd like to challenge your thinking in regards to how you view God as judge. And to do that, I want to ask one simple question from our text that I just read here a moment ago. What is it that Jesus is afraid of here? What, what, is, what is Jesus afraid of here in the garden. And I mean, just consider some of the description that we read. Mark describes him as being greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly. He's emphasizing how troubled Jesus is at this moment. He describes himself as being very sorrowful, even to death. Mark tells us that when he prays, he doesn't just like get down calmly and kneel. He falls to the ground on his face. And he asks the Father if it's possible to let this hour that's coming pass from him. In other words, he's asking not to do it. He prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There, There is no way that you read this scene here in the garden without walking away with the understanding that Jesus is clearly terrified. He has been filled with fear and dread, which is significant, right? Because he's God. What can God be afraid of? What possible thing could you imagine or think about that would cause God himself to feel fear? That in itself is is like a seemingly impossible question to answer and would be intriguing just to think about on its own. And yet, we won't do that right this moment. We'll just come here into this text. He's he's clearly afraid of what? And I'll... You know, for years, as I had read this passage, and even as I preached it, I've always assumed that the answer to that question was of his impending death. He's afraid of crucifixion, because I would be afraid of crucifixion. Crucifixion has been described, and we'll get to this eventually in Mark, and I'll try to describe it in detail for us at that point in Mark's gospel, but, but crucifixion has been described as one of the most gruesome, if not the most gruesome form of execution ever invented by mankind, okay? I mean, it's a horrifying, agonizing, sometimes days-long process of death. And if I'm Jesus and I'm in his shoes and I know that this is about to come, that is exactly what I would be afraid of. But 
But Packer brought up two points in relation to that particular answer that I had never really considered. Number one, he said, okay, so if, if Jesus is afraid of dying, then how come other people you see later in the New Testament aren't? And he, just as a couple of quick examples, and there's a lot we could probably turn to, but think about Stephen for a moment, the church's first martyr. Here's Stephen, a guy who, who knows the situation he's in. He recognizes that, that he's got a crowd around him that are clearly hostile to him and his message of Jesus as the Christ. And yet, he proclaims it boldly. And when they begin to pick up stones to stone him, do you get any sense of fear out of him in that story there in Acts? No. He, he, he like falls to his knees and he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. And even as they're throwing the stones and he's about to die, what is he crying out for? In fear, no, he's crying out for them, for the Father to forgive them of their, their sins against him. You get a sense of joy in Stephen's death, not, not fear, not dread. Think of Paul. Paul is in prison at one point, and he's writing to the Philippian church because they've sent him a gift. And he says these words which we know so well, he says, I'm hard-pressed. He, he thinks he might die, he's not really sure what's going to happen. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two options. If I live, it's Christ. I'm going to serve Christ and love Christ and proclaim Christ more. But to die is what? Gain. To die is actually my preferred outcome, Paul says. And we read those words and we're like, man, I'm not there. <laughs> and I'm saying that I'm not there. I, but for Paul, Paul is there. To die is gain. To die would be the best possible situation because then I can go be with Jesus, but you get the sense that he's almost like resigned to it. I'm probably going to live because that's more needful for you. It's like, you know, I'm going to have to face life, unfortunately. You know, that, so you've got Stephen facing death with joy and acceptance. You've got Paul who seems to embrace it. And yet Jesus now is afraid of dying. That doesn't make sense, does it? Packer raises a second point. He says, okay, so you think Jesus is afraid of dying? But isn't this why he came in the first place? And isn't that what he's been purposely walking towards the entire time? And we're in the perfect place in, in Mark to see that, right? I mean, he is purposely taking step after step after step to Jerusalem. He's willingly doing it. He's purposefully doing it. He's knowingly doing it because he's telling the guys along the way, hey, I'm going to die. When we get there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer, I'm going to be rejected by the leaders, and I'm going to die. Do you get any sense of fear in his descriptions of his death in this section of Mark that we're in right now? No. He, he seems to state it so matter-of-factly, so boldly, as if that's just always been the plan, because it has. But now, all of a sudden, now in the garden, it's like, oh, crap, what did I do? Oh, now I'm going to die. Oh, I didn't think about this. Oh, I am so afraid. Okay. Do, do, do you see the problem here? This doesn't make any sense. And after thinking about it for a while, I began to agree with Packer. I don't, I don't think that Jesus is afraid of dying here in the garden. So, so if he's not afraid of dying, then what is he afraid of? Because he is afraid. What is causing him to be greatly distressed and troubled? Why is he very sorrowful, even to death? Why is he falling on the ground, begging God for another way? What hour would he rather avoid? What cup does he not want to drink? Well, if it's not the cross itself, then there's only one other thing it could possibly be. And that is the wrath of God that he's about to endure on the cross. Right? That's it. I mean, 
These are the only two things that are about to happen to him. He's going to be crucified and he's going to endure God's wrath. Because in Galatians 3, Paul tells us that, that all of us who didn't do everything that was written in the law are under God's curse. We're under his wrath, right? And so that's a problem. God is a righteous judge, has to punish all sin, all sinners. But on the cross, Paul goes on to say there that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Okay, you remember those words from, from Paul? That means that he took our sin on himself and that because of that, God then pours out all of his wrath against sin on Jesus and Jesus is enduring the full force of God's wrath there on the cross so that, so that we could be forgiven. And we say that so easily and you just listened to it so easily and we're not moved by it. Like, not even a little. Like, it doesn't even trouble us, maybe even a, a, a smidge. But I would ask you to think about the garden again for a moment now. Because here's Jesus, the Son of God in human form, on the verge of taking our sin on himself and receiving the full fury of the wrath of God against sin. And he is afraid. He is trembling. Think about it again. Is there any other person you can think of who could possibly understand the, God's wrath against sin completely and perfectly like Jesus? Is there anybody else who has even a, 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 just a, a smidge of an idea of what it means to endure God's, God's wrath who's better than God himself at understanding that? Of course not. We might think we understand how bad sin is, and we might think we understand how angry that has made God and how much wrath he has toward it. I'm telling you folks, we do not. Not in the slightest. Jesus understood God's wrath against sin perfectly and completely. He knew everything it entailed. He knew how fierce it would be. He knew how terrible it would be. And you see him here fearing it. Trembling before it, dreading it, wishing there was some other way to do this thing. This is God the Son trembling before the wrath of God the Father. Now here's, here's what struck me. <coughs> I clearly do not understand the seriousness of sin. C clearly. Nor, nor must I really understand the fierceness of God's anger towards it. Because I can talk about that, and I can think those thoughts, and, and talk about God's anger, and I don't, I don't feel anything inside. And yet Jesus, someone who understands perfectly both the nature of sin and of God's anger toward it, he is trembling at the thought of enduring it, fearful of what lies ahead. You know, here in verse 36, Jesus calls God Abba, Father. It's a term of, of intimacy, of closeness. He's daddy. He's like, it's this, it's this sense that there's a relationship here that's so close, and yet he knows that in a few short hours, he will not be kneeling before God as his father. He will be hanging before God as his judge. And God will judge his own son as being a curse and being a sin bearer, and he will act accordingly. No wonder then, no wonder Jesus is afraid. And as we begin this Easter weekend, I'd like for us to do it with just a recognition 
of what it cost Jesus to purchase our salvation. I want us to begin with just a, a remembrance that, that <laughs> of what we've been saved from. You can, you can hear about God's anger towards sin and just ignore it. Jesus thought about God's anger towards sin that he was about to endure, and he's pleading for any other way. If Jesus is afraid, shouldn't we be? Shouldn't mankind be? Apart from Jesus, we too would have to stand before God as judge to answer for our sin and to receive his wrath toward it. And while that may not make, it, make us excuse me, tremble as we should, I'm reminding you tonight that nothing, nothing could be more terrifying. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? I just want to go to prayer now before we come to the Lord's table. Father, we, we come to you tonight just confessing that we do not understand, apparently, the ugliness of sin of how damning that was to our soul, of the position that put us into you as the righteous, holy judge who had to punish sin. Your anger and wrath against it is so much more than anything we can comprehend because we can talk about it and, and our voices don't tremble. We can think about it and we don't fall to our knees. And yet Jesus, on the verge of experiencing, experiencing it himself, He's filled with dread. He is sorrowful even to death. He's begging for another way. It must be so much worse than anything we have ever thought. Forgive us for our small thoughts of you and our small thoughts of our sin against you. It is an eternal crime that rightly demands an eternal punishment from you, the eternal God. May we remember that tonight and see its ugliness, and walk out of here even thinking about it, recognizing that, Jesus, if it was not for you becoming the curse for us, we would have nothing standing between us and God's wrath. It would be ours to bear and ours alone. But we come tonight knowing that that is not the case. That you decided to stand before God as judge so that we could stand before him as father. You took our place, Jesus, and we are so thankful. Thinking of God's wrath against sin, it forces us to, to be so grateful for what you have done and, and absorbing that, taking that, bearing that for us that, that we are excited now to come and publicly proclaim it and remember it here around your table. And so I pray, Father, as we go through this weekend, as we prepare for Sunday, as, as people come who we won't see probably again this year, that the message we preach and the, the spirit we, we put forth in this room on Sunday morning will be one of exaltation to you because you who were our judge have become our Father. You have loved us now in Christ. Thank you so much for what you did by sending your Son to die for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.